Well, it is good to have you in worship with us today. Um, as, as we're worshiping together here on campus, uh, I just uh, want to say a word. We're in the middle of a series called um, Your Gratitude, okay? Uh, it's about our attitude that creates our gratitude. And uh, it just dawned on me this week uh, when Friday rolled around as Veterans Day uh, that there are some within our body of believers uh, who have served um, and to protect our freedoms. Uh, there are some of you who have family members, uh, spouses, children, uh, who are even currently serving. And if you're on campus with us this morning um, and you are someone who has either served in uh, the military and you are a veteran or you have a uh, spouse or child who is currently serving, would you simply stand and let us express our gratitude to you? I know there are some of you around here today, all right? Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. So um, today, is as we're exploring this concept that it's our attitude that creates our gratitude in our life, and we're using the 103rd Psalm uh, as a way to, to understand what it means to live with this gratitude toward God. Uh, we come to a part in the psalm that presents a metaphor that is quite honestly going to be hard for some of you to actually comprehend. Um, and the reason is that it's a metaphor that is slowly losing power in our culture. Now, oftentimes, when we're dealing with uh, Scripture from the Old Testament or the New Testament, the writers will use a metaphor that fit very well uh, in the first century or in the Old Testament years. Uh, for instance, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, okay, um, I lay down my life for the sheep, um, that is great, and if we went to church, we know about it, but, but the deal is, most of you have no idea what a shepherd's life is like. Most of you don't raise sheep. Now, there are some of you who may, but, but most of our culture here in the United States in general and in the U.S. here in Indiana in particular, it, it's, not, it, it's not something, it's a metaphor you're familiar with. And today, the verses of the 103rd Psalm that we're going to focus on include a metaphor that 50 years ago in the United States would have been a metaphor that that when it was used, everyone would have said, oh yeah, I get that. But currently, not so much. You see, what happens is, as David is teaching the people of Israel to sing this song called the 103rd Psalm as a gathering into worship in the temple, and he's talked, in, as he began the psalm about, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. All those things we've been talking about for the last few weeks. The, the, the psalm, the song kind of reaches a crescendo in some verses where he compares God to a, to a compassionate father. And, and quite honestly, to have a, to have that image, for some of you, you're like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. God's like a good, good father. You know, we sing about songs like that, right? But here's what, what I need you to know. Right now, in this country, after the last census, 26% of the children in this country live in homes where the only adult is a single mom. That's one in four. And that doesn't even include those of you who grew up in 
homes where your father was absent and your mother remarried because that's no longer a single parent home. But according to the United States Census, one in four children live in single mom homes and then there's another, there's, there's another 1%, maybe 5% that live in single father homes. And, and so when we in the church use this imagery of, of God is a good, good father, or God is a father, or, or we pray our father who art in heaven, we've got to realize that there are people around us, in fact, some of you, who were raised in homes where you did not have a father image. And that we live in a culture that no longer understands what it means to be a father. And so when we study scripture and we come to like the 103rd Psalm, and we hear these words that God is like a compassionate father who understands his children, who knows what they're like, and then responds to them out of that compassion, you've got to know that, that there are people sitting around you on campus or people near you where you're, where you're watching online, people in your world who don't understand that metaphor. And it makes it all the more important for us as followers of Jesus to clarify what the scriptures mean when it says that God is like a father. So this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna read these scripture verses from the 103rd Psalm. We're gonna listen to the description and we're gonna try to explore what it means to be followers of a God who is a, a father that is present, and by the way, those numbers, they don't even talk about those of you who grew up with abusive fathers or absent fathers who were physically present but emotionally absent. And, and, and so we've got to explore that. So this morning, I want to invite you into a journey to explore what it means to be a person who has an attitude of gratitude because the God the God who made you, the God who knows you, the God who loves you with a steadfast love is a God who treats you in the best way possible as a compassionate father would treat their children. So listen as I read from the 103rd Psalm. I'm gonna go back and start at verse one just, just so you can hear the rhythm of the song so that you can understand the, the way in which David is, is being led by the Spirit to, to write these words and lead us into this understanding of what it means for God to be a compassionate Father. I'll start with verse one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us as a father shows compassion to his children. 
So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Don't, don't get hung up on that word fear. What it means is to reverence, to respect. So the Lord shows compassion to those who respect him, who revere him, who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for humanity, our days are like grass. We flourish like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. This understanding of a, a father who is compassionate is essential to our understanding of what it means to be followers of Jesus and what it means to let our attitude create gratitude within our heart and our life. Several years ago, when my oldest son was in middle school, I, uh, I was invited to help coach the middle school football team at Eastside Middle School over here. And since I'd grown up in a family where my father was a pastor in smaller towns, and yet my father had been a college athlete, and so he was my coach and my brother's coach in like all the sports we played um, growing up, I, I had heard that thing about, well, you know, you're just playing because your daddy's the coach. <laughs> You're just, you're just playing because, well, you know, your dad's the preacher. And nobody wants to tell him his kid's not any good on the ball field. And, and so uh, when I was approached by one of the members of our church who was helping coach there, and he said, uh, hey, pastor, I heard you played uh, college football. I said, well, yeah, I tried. He said, hey, I, I've never played football, but they've asked me to help coach the middle school team. I've never played, but I'm the coach, all right? I looked at him and said, well, great. He said, well, here's the deal. Could you give me some pointers? Because they want me to be the defensive coordinator. I'm thinking to myself, this is not going to go well. So I said, okay, are you going to play an odd man front or an even man front? He said, what are you talking about? I said, oh, man. So I, the next week we had a board meeting here, and I sat down with our board, and I said, hey, look, you know, he's asked if I could come over in the afternoons and coach and and thank the Lord that uh, Barrett Bates, who was the retired athletic director from Anderson University, was on the board at that time. And, and he said, he, I told him the story. He said, guys, please, save the children. <laughs> let, let pastor have the time. And so, and so I, I spent the, the, the seventh and eighth grade years, my boys were in, in the East Side Middle School helping coach. But here's the deal. Because of what I'd gone through with my dad, I didn't tell the kids I was the pastor at East Side Church and I didn't tell them I had a boy on the team. I was just Coach Robinson. And so I'm coaching, and we had a good season. In fact, at the very last game, we were over in Newcastle, and, and we managed to beat Newcastle, which was a great big thing for an Anderson school to do in those days. And we're still quite proud of that. I, I have a T-shirt somewhere at home. And, uh, and on the way back, the kids are having a great time. They've won their last game. They've actually had a winning season. It's been a great year. And they're all thanking us as the volunteer coaches for it. And, and in the process, um, one of, one of the boys said, boy, Coach Robinson, are you going to coach with us next year? I said, well, I'll be honest. You're going on to high school. I said, that, that's going to be up to my son. 
They said, your son? I said, yeah, my son. They said, you got a son on this team? I said, well, yeah. I mean, my last name's Robinson. Kyle's last name is Robinson. Really? I'm like, what's shocking? They said, well, here's the deal, coach. You were harder on them, on, on Kyle, than you were on any of the rest of us. I said, that's because he's my kid, and I expect more out of him. And you can see Kyle, Kyle's real quiet. If you've ever met my son, he's just real quiet. He's like, yeah. And they're all like, they're all like, what do you mean? And I said, well, yeah, you know, I just, I, I didn't want you guys to think he was getting special treatment because he was my kid. And uh, it was quiet for a minute. And one of the guys, little bitty guy, guy, we used to be afraid to put him on the field because he was going to get broken. We just knew he was going to get broken. All right. I mean, he's like, you know, eighth grade and like, looks like he's in fifth grade. And, 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 you know, his helmet, if he got hit, honestly, there was that he got hit, he was actually looking out the ear hole, okay, of the thing. And we're just like, we're, you know, we only put him on, we thought he wasn't going to get hurt. And, and so he, he's sitting about, I don't know, maybe two benches back on that school bus. And he says, just loud enough for everybody to hear, I wish I had a dad who'd treat me hard. Kyle looked at him and said, are you kidding? <laughs> But then one by one, I heard these other guys going, yeah, me too, me too. And all those years ago now, those eighth grade boys taught me something. I grew up in a home with a dad. Most of my friends grew up in homes with dads. But the boys I was coaching, they didn't grow up with, with compassionate fathers and most of them didn't even grow up with fathers who were present with them. And maybe that's your story. And maybe that's why when I read the 103rd Psalm and I hear David saying that God is like a compassionate father who knows his children and understands how they're made and understands their frame, it moves me to the point where I have to say something to us as the people of God that we have to be respectful, we have to be aware that we're living in a world that doesn't share those values where people don't experience those same things. And as the people of God, we are commissioned by God. We are called by our Heavenly Father to not only experience Him as a compassionate Father for us and to lay aside our woundedness for those of us who were raised without fathers in our home, for those of us who had fathers who were abusive. We have to, we have to be willing to lay that aside, allow that to be healed inside of us so that we can say to a world that has no idea who God really is and what He's really like, that God is a compassionate Father. And a compassionate God does life different than a harsh, judgmental God that you have to be afraid of. That you, it's, that, that's why I told you, it's this fear David's talking about is not the fear of, of being afraid you're gonna get hurt or afraid something's gonna happen. No, no, it's, 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 a, fear of, it's a fear that's reverent, a respect, an understanding that God is... God is compassionate. He knows you. And in this relationship you have with him, that he offers you, that you're going to find these three things out about God. First of all, you're going to discover that God, God's compassion is personal. He is not just the God of the universe who's some mighty force. If you read the Historically, he's not what the deist would call a God who just exists and put it all in place and, and you just go from that perspective and he wound it up and set it out and said, okay, God, world, just do what you want to do. No, he's not that kind of distant God. 
The God of the Bible is a God who's intricately, personally involved with each person he created. He knows you. He understands you. That's why, that's why David, when he, when he begins to make this transition, when, when this psalm begins to quite honestly hit the crescendo, <laughs> we had a, a funeral in here uh, on Friday for a friend of mine and my wife, Becky, who was a musician, a music teacher in this city for almost her entire life and grew up here. And she was the organist for the uh, old North Anderson, now Madison Park Church for decades. She started playing the organ in church at seven years old. She was a prodigy. Her name was Ernestine Shearer. Ernestine was an amazing musician. And it didn't matter if she was playing for an auditorium of 10,000 people or a congregation of 100 people. When Ernestine sat at the organ and she began, she, she had this ability to modulate music, to do a key change in the middle of an anthem that would just make the roof just, in fact, I, I can remember standing on the platform in, in sanctuaries where she was and she was, and I would see people gaping, I mean, their, their jaws dropping because when Ernie hit that and it began to go up and modulate high, there was just this awesome crescendo and people would just be in awe. And what David's doing in the 103rd Psalm when he gets to this place where he gets to these verses where he's talking about God is a compassionate father, it's that kind of crescendo in, in, in the room, in the temple. And in the midst of that crescendo, what God is saying through David is, listen, I know your name. I understand who you are. I formed you in your mother's womb. I know that's in the 139th Psalm, but it's throughout the scriptures. And what Jesus is wanting us to understand when he looks at us is, hey, you wanna know what God's like? Watch me. Because the Father and I, we're one. I don't do anything without talking to the Father, Jesus says. So if you wanna know what God is really like, look at Jesus. And when you look at the life of Jesus, does he do anything impersonal? Everything Jesus does is personal. I mean, go back, even when he's calling his first disciples and he meets this guy named Simon, the son of Jonah, and he, and he looks at him first time he meets him and says, hey, Simon, yeah, we're gonna change your name to Peter because you're gonna be a rock. I'm thinking Simon's brother Andrew is going, rock, are you crazy? That's my brother. He flip-flops politically every time, all right? He can't make up his mind what to eat for supper. A rock? And he's got a temper like, oh, get out. See, Jesus didn't see what was. Jesus, see, Jesus saw who he was created to be. When Jesus looks at you, some of you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, I'm a failure. I'm a fraud. I'm not, I'm not really who I tell people I am. I'm covering up all this stuff. I gotta keep managing my image. I gotta keep doing that. Listen to me. Jesus knows your image, but he also knows who you really are. And here's the best part. He and his father love you anyway. He has compassion on you like a father has for his children. Look at it. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who respect him, those who revere him, those who relate to him, those who fear him. 
The crescendo of this psalm, the, the moment of this psalm is that place where whether you're an eighth grade junior high boy or you're an 80-year-old retiree, you understand that God himself knows you and he loves you and he will show compassion on you. And it's not just because he's just love and he is the force that he went with. We've, we've so, so taken the power out of who God is by the way we've treated the things he's taught us. Because we take them out of context. We take them out of the relationship. And what Jesus did was he made God personal because God is personal. Sometimes I ask people, have people ask me, Pastor, why do you think that God, you know, God could have saved the world without his son dying on a cross? God did that so you'd know how much he loves you. So he'd know how valuable you are. So you would figure it out. This God is not some force for good. No, this is the person, the God who knows you, who loves you, who is steadfast in his love for you and invites you into this relationship of respect, of reverence, of awe. And by the way, reverence is not, um, I mean, people all the time think reverence is a cathedral and a choir and silence. I'm like, if it's silence, why do you need the choir? Reverence is relationship. Respect is relationship. And so when David says, you know, God is God that we bless, God who forgives our iniquities, God who takes our sins as far as the east is from the west, this God is like a compassionate father because a compassionate father knows his children. And God knows you. And when you realize that he knows you, and you enter into that relationship with him, you're gonna discover that God's compassion has a perspective, and it's different than yours. See, your perspective is normally along the lines of, how can I survive, or how can I make do, or how can I get mine? <laughs> but God's perspective, well, Look at it. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, as for humanity, our days are like grass. We flourish like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over us and we are gone. And that place knows us no more. See, God's perspective is that you're... Your physical life is not gonna go forever. Part of the reason he has compassion on you is because he knows that there's a future for you that you can't even comprehend because it goes beyond any human experience you've ever had. There is an eternity, and you will live for eternity. And you will either live for eternity in relationship with this compassionate God who loves you like a compassionate father, who understands your frame, who understands your frailty, who understands everything about you, or you will live that eternity separated from him. And by the way, if you're not in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ right now, you're living separated from him. And I just got one question. How's that working for you? How's that working for you? Or maybe you're just somebody who thinks about Christianity as a religion thing. 
and you really don't let it come into your heart. You really don't let Jesus take control of your life. You've, you've just gone through the form and the ritual of religion. And, and I'm, again, same question. How's that working for you? How's that really working for you? When you know that someday, somewhere, this body's going to stop. It's not going on. But you are. And you'll get a glorified body, a new body, if you're with Jesus. And if you're not, the scripture doesn't tell us what kind of body you'll have in hell. But it does tell us you will be separated from God for eternity. So if we're going to understand what it means to have an attitude that creates gratitude in our life and understand that this God that we bless and this God who forgives us and this God who has mercy and has all these benefits for us, that this God is the God who's a compassionate father to us. If we're really gonna be people who grasp the reality that God offers us a different way of living, then we've gotta understand his perspective is different than ours. And the way David expresses it is pretty meaningful. Because he thinks about nature, he thinks about flowers and the way that flowers grow up and then they're beautiful and man, you look at it and you think, man, that's gorgeous. But then they die and they wither and they blow away. We've had a great fall in Indiana. I, I know there's snow on the ground right now and it's not even Thanksgiving and some of us are grieving and some of you are dancing, all right? But, but it, the, 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 the trees were beautiful here this year. I mean, I wanted to call all of my friends that live in Florida and are always teasing me in the wintertime about, you're up there freezing. I'm like, yeah, but you don't get anything like this, Bubba, all right? This is gorgeous stuff. And my wife and I live in, in, a, in a home we've lived in and raised our kids in, and, and, and it's in a subdivision out north of town. And, um, and, and in that subdivision, uh, all the houses on our street back up to a cornfield. In fact, let me just say to you right now, uh, December the 18th, pencil that in on your calendar because uh, we're inviting you to our house for a reception that day. Anybody in the church, you're welcome to come. Uh, if you go to another church and you show up, we'll just take your tithe and then you can eat, all right? Uh, but no, I'm teasing. Uh, but, but, uh, but we invite you to be, to be our guest that evening at our home. That's why there's not gonna be a breakfast in December, just so Johnny can relax, all right? We're, there will be food, Johnny, all right? We'll get you there, all right? But, uh, but in our subdivision and on our street, all the houses back up to a cornfield. And for all the years we've lived there, oh, and we have 27 mature trees. They were gorgeous this year until the wind came. And you remember this, the, the, the wind advisories? I mean, the, the wind took the leaves down. It was gorgeous fall. Leaves go in three days. And in my house, that can mean they're this deep. I was telling this story first hour and after service, somebody in our church, a young mom in our church came to me and said, yeah, pastor, I remember your 27 mature trees. We used to try to toilet paper them when I was in the youth group. I'm like, yeah, I remember that. Do not start that again, all right? But about a year ago in the fall, see, for years, we would take the leaves, we'd either mulch them or blow them into the cornfield. So we'd mulch them up, blow them in the cornfield, or some years we didn't mulch them, we'd just blow them in the cornfield. 
And we did that because the farmer, when we first moved in there, first year we were there, he just came by on his tractor one day and, hey, just put the leaves out here. I'll use them. It'll be fine. Just, you know, don't make big piles out of them. Just spread them out. We're like, okay, cool. And then last fall, on a Saturday, our doorbell rang. And there was a police officer standing there. And the police officer said, uh, we need to let you know that there's a new farmer farming the land behind you and he sent out something for every neighbor here. I'm going door to door telling you that if any of you put your leaves in the cornfield, you'll be fine. He doesn't want your leaves in his cornfield anymore. I'm like, what am I gonna do with the leaves? So fall came, the winds came, the leaves came down. And I got some guy and I said, hey man, listen, I can't put them in the cornfield so here, you take them in a truck, you dump them somewhere, you know, and we got them, we got them done, we got them out. My neighbor and I, I promise, we said, we said things we're not proud of about the farmer, but we didn't cuss him, I pray, I really, I, I pray, honestly, we didn't. And, and, and I'm like, okay, but you know, we're, we'll do all right. And then those winds came. And I think every leaf from every house, not on our street, but from the whole subdivision, ended up in our yard after I'd already had mine moved. And I'm thinking, what am I gonna do? And then I looked at the weather forecast and it said, tomorrow, wind advisory, 40 mile an hour gust. I said, well, I'm waiting on Jesus right now. <laughs> because when those winds came, you know what happened? All those leaves are in that cornfield. <laughs> I didn't put one leaf in that cornfield. And when the farmer comes to try to give me a fine, I'm gonna tell him, find Jesus. He's in charge of the wind, all right? Why would I tell you a silly story like that? Because some of you think you're gonna be on the tree forever, but we're all just leaves. And sometimes we have beautiful colors, but eventually our leaf will wither and then it will die. And the question is, are you willing to let God be in charge of your life when he has the kind of compassion that understands who you really are. He has a perspective about your life that you don't carry. Because if you are, if you are, you're gonna discover the most beautiful part of the 103rd Psalm. The most beautiful part of the story of God. The most beautiful part of the story of Jesus. Because you see, this this compassionate God whose compassion is personal and this compassionate God whose compassion is, is, is such, a, such a work in your life that it brings a new perspective. That, that same compassion and that same God, he's persistent. He's persistent. Because what he wants you to know is that he's not given up on you. And there's nothing you can do, as Paul would tell us in Romans, there's nothing that can happen, neither height nor depth, anything in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So there's nothing you've failed at, nothing you've done, nothing that's happened to you that can separate you from him. He is persistent in his love for you. Here's the way David says it. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, who respect him. And when they do that, his righteousness is to their children's children and to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. There's a story 
in the New Testament. It's in the Gospel of Luke. It's in the 15th chapter. And when I start telling it, some of you are going to know, oh, yeah, I know that story. No, you probably don't. Because it's a really popular story. It's a story about a man who had two sons. Some of you are going, oh, yeah, I know, prodigal son, yeah. And over the years in the church, we've preached that, that, that passage from Luke 15 about how, about how you know, God will always let the prodigal come home, so parents, keep waiting for your prodigal, they'll come home. Or, or we've talked about it from the standpoint of the older brother, the, the older brother who got upset when the prodigal came home, and, and, and then, the, then the father threw a party, and the older brother's like, man, I did everything right. I didn't leave you, I didn't waste your money, I didn't do anything, and you throw a party for him and you don't even buy me lunch. And we always make that story about either the prodigal son or about the older brother, but, but I have to tell you, if you'll go and read it in the context of the other stories in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, you'll discover what German theologian Helmut Thielicke discovered decades ago. It's really not about the boys. It's really not about the prodigal who went away and wasted his father's money in riotous living, whatever that is. It's really not about the older brother who was jealous and mad because he did everything right and went to Sunday school every Sunday and got a pen for it and went to church and put money in the plate and then nobody did anything for him. It's not about either one of them. It's about the father. It's about the waiting father who waits for you, whatever happens in your life, who watches on the horizon for those of you who wandered away and who loves you consistently if you're staying home. Because he is that kind of persistent God. His compassion is that persistent. He is always the God who loves you regardless. His steadfast love endures forever. So when the people of Israel came into the temple, singing the song that David had written, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And they begin to list out those benefits. And then they talk about his mercy. And how he removes their sin as far as the east is from the west. The crescendo, the modulation, it hits in the room. And what's happening is now suddenly they're celebrating this compassionate father whose love is always pursuing them. And what I want you to know, in November of 2022, is that he is always pursuing you. And if you've never had a father in your life, or if you've had a father in your life who was abusive or dismissive or angry or absent, you've got to know the God of the Bible is a compassionate father who knows you by name. It's personal with him. Who who sees the world in a way he created you to see, but you can't see it yet because he's got a different perspective than you have. And a God whose compassion is so persistent that he will never, ever give up on you.
And so my question for you today is this. What are you going to do with that kind of thought? How are you going to react to that kind of love? As we were preparing for this week, Michael said, hey, hey, pastor, there's a, there's a song. He'd read the passage and what I was going to be talking about. And the minute he said it, I was like, yeah, Michael, that's it. That's exactly what we have to sing in response to a, to a compassionate God. Because today, I know there are some of you on campus and some of you online who are, who are feeling as if your problems and your heartaches and your trials and your tribulations are so overwhelming and you just don't know if you're going to make it. You may be the prodigal child. You, you may be the older sibling. But you got to know your heavenly Father is waiting for you. And so I want to invite you to take these next few moments and decide that you're actually going to respond to him. If you want to come and pray at an altar, we'll be glad to do it. These closest, I'll be glad to pray with you or some of our prayer partners or pastors. But if you just need time alone with God, the altar's underneath the windows. That's what they're reserved for. They're just a, a sacred space for you to have time with God. But whether you want to come forward or whether you want to stay in your seat, I invite you to make this time a time when you run to the Father. Would you stand with me?
Heavenly Father, you are the one who waits for us to turn from our own agendas, to recognize how much you love us. Thank you for being a God who doesn't force yourself on us, but a God who stands right next to us waiting for our hearts to open. You know us, you, you know our, our failings, you know our successes, you know our dreams and you know our nightmares. You know us by name. And so right now, God, I 
across this room and, and throughout rooms around the world. You're speaking to hearts. And you're, you're asking them to have the courage to, to trust you. So Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm asking you right now to speak into those hearts, whether they're here on campus or listening as they drive a car or sitting in their living room at home, watching later on demand. God, wherever, wherever people are hearing my voice, may they hear your voice. May they know that your love is steadfast and it endures forever. And you will never, ever turn your back on them so they can stop turning their back on you. God, thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for sending Jesus to show us just how much you love us. And right now, we just open our hearts to you. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.